we have been plodding through Revelation. And uh, it's been in fits and starts, as I've said. And we go forward and back one step, and three steps forward and one back. And so that's only because I am an inexperienced preacher in this book, much to my shame. I am being so blessed, and I trust that you are too, with what God is saying to us today through this incredible revelation of Jesus Christ. So as we go through this, I trust that we are ready as the people of God. We're being prepared as the people of God to face what I believe we are very close to the end time. And you probably say, well, the church has been preaching this for 2,000 years, and he still hasn't come. Well, that's all the more reason to believe that it is imminent, that his coming is soon. And he says he'll come as a thief in the night. What thief is going to call you up and say, you know, tonight, would you leave your door unlocked because I'm coming in and I'm going to take everything you've got? But that's what Jesus did. He gave us warning. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Take us. Take everything that we have. We are yours. That's the commitment of being a Christian. Because all that we are and ever hope to be, we belong to him. And the promises of God are so full and so abundant even in this book of what God is preparing for his people. And so this book, I think, deserves a lot of attention. And as we forge ahead, I believe that God has some special messages for us, not just as the body of Christ, but as individuals, of how do we see ourselves in the world that we're living today. This world has never been in a situation like it is right now. We've talked about some of the global things that are happening. Almost a million people right now are in the air flying to all parts of the world. And it says that they will go to and fro throughout the earth. That's our generation. That's now. So let's get started. And we always begin with this blessing. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Bless the Lord. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the 
four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Father, we ask that in this message today, you would speak to our hearts. We listen for your voice. We listen for your truth. And we want to align our lives with your word. May your grace be upon us all. In Jesus' name, amen. The seven seals, a white horse in verses one and two, a red horse, three and four, a black horse, five and six, a pale horse, verses seven through eight. And then it swings to those who have been slain, verses nine to 11. And the sixth seal, earth and heaven's disasters in 12 to 14. And the other part of this, the wrath of the lamb is our conclusion in 15 to 17. In those verses that we just read, it says that living creatures say, come. And the rider has a bow and a crown and a purpose is to conquer. I don't know whether you understand, history wasn't really my forte in college. And I've said that about other subjects. And so you probably wonder, what did you study when you were in college? Well, I met my wife there. <laughs> that was something. But history is a good indication of where Bible prophecy will develop. And so we need to know history. We need to be students of history to understand what is God doing today? And the key word with the white horse is not the fact that he's on a white horse. And I don't pretend to know what it means in terms of the white horse. 
I am sure by studying this first seal that the white horse is not Jesus Christ himself. Because this rider is not a divine person like Jesus Christ is. Yes, he has a bow and a crown, but that doesn't mean that he is Jesus Christ. And I don't think that he is in looking at this, even though he's on a white horse. And there's other things that talk about Jesus in that context, but not here. The purpose here is to conquer. That's our world. Conquering and to conquer. That says it all. So time-wise, I think we're set there with the white horse and its rider. Our world is caught up in conquering and to conquer. Just to give us a little bit of look at our watch as to see where we are in world time. And then a red horse. The rider granted to take away peace from the earth. He was given a great sword. What could that mean? A red horse. What would be the meaning of that? Well, there are two things, two isms or two things in our present world situation, ideologies. One is communism. What is their insignia? Red. And what is the great sword? What would be a great sword in our day and age? Swords are pretty much passe. We don't use swords these days. Yes, bayonets, but not swords. So the old samurai sword is kind of old-fashioned. But what is a sword? What about nuclear power in terms of killing? I think we're in an age of the nuclear age when Russia has the bomb, Iran has the bomb, the United States has the bomb, North Korea's working on the bomb. A great sword and the nations of the world want that great sword for one purpose. What is that? To kill, to kill and conquer a black horse. In verses 5 and 6 that we read, a pair of scales for measuring. And there's kind of a hint that comes from the four living creatures that are before the throne. And someone says, this is in regards to famine and inflation. And what do we have worldwide? Opulence in some nations and incredible famine and death and disease in other parts of the world. All nations are not equal. All peoples are not equal. And where we happen to be in a country here in Japan where all of its citizens have health insurance. We don't even have that in the United States. Japan's got the most incredible health system, even though they can't afford it. But the equality among nations is so unequal. And there is famine, there is disease, and there is inflation because of the lack of food. That's 
a black horse. And then comes the pale horse, and the rider is named Death, followed by Hades. What a name for a rider named Death. And Hades is another word for hell or death. And this rider is given authority to kill over a fourth of the people. By the way, I missed this in my notes as I was going through this quickly, but these seals and the effects of the tearing of the seals off of the scroll, God is in charge. And in fact, the Son of God, the Lamb, is in charge of breaking those seals and opening up the scroll as to world history and events that are taking place. God has ultimate authority. Jesus Christ has ultimate authority for what happens to this earth. It belongs to him. He is the maker and the owner of this earth. Not any man, not any power, not any ideology or political system. And so, as the owner of the earth, he has the ability to give authority to those who want to destroy and to kill. So the effect of the seals being broken is not so much a good thing as it is that God is saying, man will be judged. There is a judgment coming. And that authority is given, not taken. In other words, communism or Islam or even Christianity doesn't have the authority other than what God gives them to do. Number five, those who had been slain. Says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. Under the altar, I'm not sure what that means. I've looked at that and looked at other commentators. We're not quite sure what it means, under the altar, except for the fact that when we talk about the altar, we have to go back to the tabernacle, back to the temple, the way it was laid out. And there were several altars there. There was the brazen altar, you remember, in the tabernacle. What happened there? There was animals being sacrificed. For what purpose? For the purpose of removal of sin. And Jesus Christ himself fulfilled that on the cross for us once and for all. No more sacrifices were necessary for our redemption, for our cleansing, for our being prepared to live with a holy God and before a holy God. But these souls who have been killed because of the word of God, they're under an altar. And I think they're under the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. And even though their life has been taken from them, they have access to cry out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? And they are given a white robe and they are told to rest a while until the number be completed. And some of us here may be among that number of those who, because of standing for the Lord Jesus Christ, your life may be taken. That is a, I believe, a privilege 
that God would give to us. I remember when I was a junior high school student and there were five missionaries who had dedicated themselves to go and reach a tribe on the Amazon River. And as a result of their being speared and killed, there were hundreds of us young people and I was in junior high. I want to be a missionary. That was the call on my life. So was it necessary for these five to give their lives? Incredible stories. If you haven't read the story of Jim Elliott and his colleagues as they went in there, they were trying to reach this tribe with a message of love. And they were killed, speared, and died and gave their lives. But a result of it was many, many of my peers dedicated our lives to follow Jesus if need be as martyrs laying down our lives for Jesus Christ. I don't wish that on you, but it would be an honor for me to be martyred. I would consider that a privilege as many, many men, women, and children have done in ages past. But still we say, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? And God is giving us the patience to wait for what his plans are. And then number six, the earth and the heavens disasters. A great earthquake. The result of the Tohoku earthquake was incredible. Katie and I weren't here for that, but it was an incredible happening here in Japan. And it was incredible to get the reports of who went to the Tohoku and ministered to those people. A lot of them were missionaries. A lot of them were Christians who weren't missionaries, but they became missionaries to the Tohoku. And some of them are still there ministering. That was called the Great Tohoku Earthquake. But you know, that earthquake was nothing compared to what we're reading here. Where the sun is black and the moon has blood and stars, or meteorites, fell from the skies. And now what are we discovering in astronomy? There are asteroids now that we never saw that are in our path right now. And if they were to strike Earth, we would have a heaven and earth disaster. It's imminent. It's here. It's with us. This is what the Bible is teaching us. Every mountain and island will be moved or were moved. And that is coming. Look what's happening in Indonesia. Now two tsunamis without warning snuffed out hundreds of lives. Here we have a dear sister from Indonesia. So we know and we love Indonesians and God loves Indonesia, but he also has his warnings out there and we need to take that to our hearts in seriousness and understanding that he's speaking to us today. His word is real. And then comes the wrath of the lamb. The wrath of a lamb. 
How many of you have ever petted a lamb, a woolly little lamb? Well, they've got wobbly legs, and they're nice to cuddle. Can you imagine an angry, wrathful lamb? That's what we call an oxymoron. But it is this loving, sacrificial lamb who, from his heart, and from those who he laid his life down for, for those who were slain under the altar, his wrath. I can't imagine what it would be like. We see and hear of Jesus as the Lion of Judah, but the wrathful Lamb? That is what we end with on the sixth seal. From kings to slaves hid in the caves, calling for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the presence of the Lord and the wrath of the Lamb. Let's just switch something here and just look at this comparison of Revelation 6 with Mark 13. Number one was wars in Revelation 6. In Mark 13, we read of wars. Number two is international strife, and in Mark, we read of worldwide strife. Revelation 6 talks of famines coming. And in the chronological order of Mark, it's earthquakes. And then plagues. And there's famine now in Mark being spoken of. Persecution is a key indicator of where we are when the church is being persecuted. The church has been persecuted for thousands of years, but we haven't seen anything yet to compare with what will happen. And eclipse and falling stars and earthquakes and falling stars spoken of by Jesus. Let's read what Jesus says, Mark 13. Let me just give it a little context. Jesus and his disciples had just been in the temple and they're leaving the temple and one of the disciples says, Lord, look at these magnificent stones in the temple. Isn't it beautiful and grand? And Jesus says to them, I tell you, not one stone will remain upon another of this temple. It will be torn down. So then they walk across and over to the Mount of Olives and they sit down and Jesus begins to talk to them and say to them, see that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But the gospel must first be proclaimed to the nations, Jesus said. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, 
Children rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. By the way, this is kind of a Jesus looking back at what had happened before Jesus was born. There was an abomination of desolation that was already being talked about, and that was where Tychicus Epiphany IV conquered Jerusalem, and he set up in the temple a sacrifice of a pig, and that was what was called the abomination of desolation. And Jesus refers to that, even though that was many years prior to Jesus' coming. But Jesus is inferring here that there will be another abomination of desolation that will happen. And what is happening right now in our present day? Where is the focus of the world right now? On Japan? No. On America? Not really. Where is the focus of the world? On Israel? On Jerusalem? Why? Ask yourself, why? That tiny little bit of territory? Nothing. No, God has plans. He has a testimony. And there will be an occasion which will be called the abomination of desolation in Jerusalem. I believe it. And when that comes, when we hear that news, let those who are in Judea, particularly, flee to the mountains. And that's what happened. And that's what happened when the Romans came in and destroyed the temple. The Christians left Judea. For in those days, there will be such a tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. We're talking big stuff, serious stuff. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray even, if possible, even the elect. And all I have to do is direct you to some TV evangelists, and I believe we have false Christs that are accessible right now on the internet. Preaching a false gospel. We need to be careful that we are not misled. Folks, this is serious stuff. Jesus is saying these things. Be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect. Is that us? Is he talking about us? I believe so. If you're standing for Jesus Christ, you are the elect.
He'll gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. That is Jesus' promise. That is where we stand. That is our confession unto death, standing for my Savior who gave all for me and for you. That's our calling as Christians. That is what he is bringing to us. And this is just the beginning of the book of Revelation. Wait till it really gets bad. But what we really desire is not to scare you to death, but to scare you to life. Because that's where our hope is. That is where our solid rock is. Not the wrath of the Lamb even though that is the scariest, scariest thing. Because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we wouldn't want to disown him. We want to follow the Lamb. These are sobering thoughts, aren't they? But you know, this message is given by the Lamb. And we need to sit up and take notice. So if you haven't started reading Revelation yet, I would suggest you better get going on it. Because we are going to proceed ahead. And we need to see Jesus in this. And what I saw in Mark these last few weeks is his love for the disciples. These 12 men that he loved and he taught and he sat with them caring for them. That's the lamb I know. But the lamb that is full of wrath, why is he wrathful? Because of himself? No. Because of his children who have suffered and paid price. His blood is the most precious thing that we have here on earth. And we can't be compared to him. But that's why he is angry. That's why he's wrathful. Because he gave his blood. He gave his life for us. All of us. Every man, woman, and child. And the majority have said, we don't want to see him or know him. But we who love him, it's different, isn't it? And God has called us to that calling. May the Lord bless you in these words. My wife told me to not be an exhorter, which I guess is one of my strong personality traits. And uh, I just plead with you, though. If you are living a life that is kind of on the edge you got one foot in the church and one in the world. It's time to make a decision. It's better to be firmly planted in the love and care of the Lamb than to be one who stands opposed to the Lamb and what he's given us. Father, thank you for your patience with us. We don't even understand all that we've just read and what we'll read in the future. 
but we do put our trust in you. You are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that is our sure confession. We embrace that. Thank you. Thank you. Lamb of God. Now bless my brothers and sisters and this week as we go out in the world and may your favor, your, your love rest upon each one of us this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.